Hello and welcome to my podcast. How much do you want to bet I'm going to trip over that? For those of you that are listening, there's a bike immediately behind me. Not very well placed. Anyway, welcome to my podcast. For those of you that are new here, welcome and thank you very much. For those of you that are regular time listeners, again, as always, thank you very much for your support. So one thing I do know is that you are, if you are listening or watching to this, it's because you've actively chosen to click on. So I'm not going to be offering things like trigger warning or anything like that, because you will know by the virtue of the title of this podcast that the content is challenging, emotional and a difficult subject. In other words, I'm going to be talking about breast cancer. Now, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to separate it into different phases of the journey, because if I was to talk to you all at once about the last nine months, we'd be here all day, which, you know, as much as I love you guys, I'm quite sure you don't want to sit and listen to me witter on for, you know, 12 hours, because believe me, I could talk about that for 12 hours. So what we're going to do is we're going to start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Um, And I'm going to talk to you about diagnosis and the weeks leading up to that. Then I'm going to move into what came next. So we're going to be talking about surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and ultimately life after cancer and what comes next. And that is the bit that I'm really excited about. So I'm going to start right at the beginning. So for those of you that don't know, back in August 2021, my life changed forever. I was diagnosed with stage three invasive ductal carcinoma, breast cancer. It was oestrogen positive. I don't know about progesterone, but probably they don't test for that in my area. Um, So yes, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. How did we come to that point? Well, that is what this podcast first episode is going to talk to you about. So context. I am a 46 year old woman. I was 45 at the point I was diagnosed. No previous health conditions or issues other than a bit of depression and anxiety, which we we all know, I've talked about that very openly, but broadly, very healthy, very active, very fit, not overweight, um, in a good good state of repair, which given that I'm a health and wellbeing coach, you'd kind of expect, right? You'd kind of expect it. So um, don't smoke, don't drink to excess, exercise regularly, not overweight. There's also a beagle about, if you can hear that in the background for the audio listeners. Um, And back at the beginning of lockdown, I was applying my fake tan. Again, for those of you that know me, you'll know that, you know, fake tan is life for me. And to be coming on camera pale and with a little coconutty head, you can see my um, tan line where my hairline was. Sorry, audio listeners. Um, it's, it's, It's a big thing. I like to be tanned. I like to just look a bit healthy. I just like a tan. I just enjoy it. And I won't go on sunbeds and I don't sit in the sun. So it's my guilty pleasure. I was applying it in lockdown and I found a lump on my rib, just still there, just there. And so I said to my husband, oh, size of a small golf ball, small golf ball, a squash ball type size. And he said, okay, well, let's just keep an eye on it. All right, baby, I'll keep an eye on it. And I kind of didn't give it any more thought than that. Fast forward a year, because aren't we all that person? You find something, you put it out of your head because you don't really want to deal with it because well, it's a bit scary and I'm sure it's nothing. And so we talk ourselves out of taking action. I know I'm not on my own there. Um, fast forward a year and we were just about to move house. So I was in the, the our spare room, putting my fake tan out and I rubbed my hand across here. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. And it was this high up. So my breast is here for reference. It was here. I'll just put for those audio listeners, it is about four inches above my nipple um, to the right side of my of my body. 
and I found felt something I would say about the size of a petit pois. Um, not a garden pea, it was smaller than that. So I kind of called to Jack and went, oh, babe, what's that? So he came, had a good old feel of it and said, oh, maybe it's just the same thing that's on your rib. I think you ought to, you know, you ought to ring the doctor. That thing hasn't got any bigger, but ring the doctor. I said, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. And once again, put that off, put it off for, oh, a good month. We'd moved house. <laughs> we moved house in the May. This was probably the beginning of the April um, rang the doctors, booked an appointment and our doctor's very good. So we were there. I was seen quite quickly and I went in and said, yeah, I found this thing, um, on my ribs. I'm not sure what it is. You know, I'm just, I, I, it's a lump. It shouldn't be there. So I've come to the doctor and she said, yeah, okay, let's have a look. So she had a good old feel of it. This is the one on my ribs. And she said, oh yeah, no, that's fine. It's a lipoma. I said, oh, what's that? Just a fatty buildup. Okay, fine. Nothing to worry about. No. Does it need removing? No. Great. Thanks very much and went to get up and leave. And she said, oh, can we hear anything else? Oh, actually, yes, while I'm here, I've got a ganglion cyst on my wrist, as I now know it. Now you'll be able to see that if you're watching this on YouTube. My hand looks a very funny color there. It's not that color, I promise. Um, but again, she said, back in the day, we used to treat that by banging it with a Bible. Please don't do that to me. She said, nothing to worry about. Does it, does it limit you in any way? I said, no, no, I'm just apparently a bit lumpy and bumpy. Ah, oh, yes, while I'm here, I also found this the other week. Um, when I was putting my fake tan on. And she said, all right, okay, well, let's have a look at that. So up comes the shirt again, feels across it. And she just pulled this face and I thought, oh, okay, well, that's not a lipoma. And she said, you know, it's probably nothing, but because of where it is and because of your age, i.e. young, I'm going to refer you to have that investigated by the breast clinic. Again, didn't really at any point think, holy shit. I just said, all right, okay, well, that's, Okay, well, I don't want to be a burden or a problem. No, 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 that's fine. You, you'll get an appointment within two weeks. Fine, went home. Jack said, well, what was the outcome? This is a lipoma. That's a ganglion. We're all good. Oh, and I'm being referred for this. Anything to worry about? No, I don't think so. Fine. And that was the extent of our conversation. Did I have sleepless nights over it? Probably a couple. Um, but again, like anything, we just then put it back in that little box on its shelf, lock it up and go, yeah, I'm not going to think about that for a while. I'm just going to leave that over there and I'm just not going to think about it for a while. Um, and then I went to the appointment. Now, the morning we wake up, my husband said to me, shall I come with you? And I said, do you know what? I just, I think I'm going to go in with COVID and everything. It's probably unlike you'll be able to come into the room with me anyway. It'll be fine. You go to work. The appointment was at 10. I said, you go to work, any problems, I'll just ring you. It's fine, darling, it'll be fine. Okay, all right, love you, bye. And off he went. I hopped into the car. I think I did a workout with my girls that morning as well. Hopped into the car and off I went to the hospital. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone. My expectation when I got to hospital was that I'd be sat there waiting for hours. So I took a book, took a bottle of water, my headphones, and just thought I'd just chill out for an hour. Brilliant. No sooner had my arse cheeks brushed the seat of that waiting room. Mrs. Knight. Yep, that's me. So come on through. So went on through. And you're obviously you have this kind of dialogue with the woman. Yep, this is this is what I've been referred for. Okay, fine, right. So then they ask you to take your top and your bra off and put this lovely cape. It's beautiful. It's a thing of absolute beauty. It's really not. Um, pop it on, hop up on the bed and let's have a look. So they leave the room while you're changing. And still at this point, I'm just, you know, my normal kind of, yeah, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's all good. Um, and she came back in, had a feel of it. Oh, yeah, right, it's a bit lumpy. Oh, right, yeah, kind of, and it, it, it obviously 
wasn't just the pee that I'd felt. She could feel something else. And she said, right, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to send you upstairs to have a mammogram. Okay, never had one of those before. I hear they're bloody horrible. And she said, oh, no, no, they're fine. You'll have both breasts done. Um, and then we'll see where we're at. I said, right. All right, fine. Lovely. So uh, <laughs> I went in, still in my lovely cape, given this kind of plastic card that says go to area blah, level blah, which is a bit of a trot away. And again, my boobs are free and, you know, free and swinging, which is fun with a little basket with your good, you know, it's not a shopping basket, a little basket with your top and your handbag and your phone and off I trundled. And of course, it's still COVID times. So everyone's masked up and you can't sit on any seat and if you get up from a seat, you have to clean it and and everyone's behind glass and perspex. So it's a very unforgiving environment. And I walked in and said to the lady, oh, I've been sent up from the breast clinic, and mammogram. She said, oh, yeah, take a seat. Okay, fine, just took a seat. And there I did wait. And while you're waiting, there are people coming in and out. And people coming in and out looking concerned, anxious, worried. And I'm still sat there kind of thinking, oh, I don't know what, don't know what the hell's I'm worried about. Yeah, this is this breeze so far. Oh, the naivety. So in I go. And this lovely, lovely radiographer takes me into this room with this huge, great big contraption and says, right, just take your, your cape off. I'm very attached to this now, but okay, I'll take it off. And you have to press, press one boob onto like a plastic perspex plate and it's squished. So your breast ends up looking like a pancake. Now I've got ample boobs, so it ended up looking like a pancake. And you kind of have to, you know, put one arm up over, almost hugging the machine and getting right on in there and being supervised by the radiographer. No, a little bit further, lean a bit, and then just don't move. Don't move. And then you have to hold your breath while they take the imaging. So that's fine. She said, right, now the other one. So then on it goes, slap, pancake boob, hugging the machine and hold your breath. Fine. So all good. Went and sat down. And then she came out and said, right, we can't unfortunately see the mass on the mammogram, so we're gonna whip you in for an ultrasound. I was like, oh God, all right, this is all. Now I've got no service in the hospital at all. So Jack was expecting me to be in there 45 minutes. We're now at an hour and a half. So he's obviously starting to think, oh, all right, okay, fine. So straight in. Now this room is very different. This room is a big room with kind of graphics on the ceiling. So you know that you're gonna be lying on your back. Um, and there was a female consultant sitting there with, um, a nurse next to her. Oh, hello, Kerry. Hop onto the bed for me. Do you know why you're here? I've, I've got a lump. It didn't show up on the mammograms. So she said, yeah, that's fine. She said, no, hop in. So she put some, I'm pointing here, it's here. Put some gel on, ultrasound. And the last time I was on my back in that manner in a hospital was when I miscarried. So I said to the um, consultant, please talk to me. Because last time I had this done, I had an ultrasound, there was no heartbeat and it broke my heart. So I just want you to talk to me. Whether it's good news, bad news, I just want you to talk to me. And she, beautiful woman, she put her hand on mine, she went, I've been there too. Now there's something immediately calming about a clinician sharing something so personal with you. You immediately feel in good company. You immediately feel calm. So I will be forever grateful for that because I immediately went, thank you. I had a little cry. And then right, right back to, you know, one, two, three, back in the room. We're here for this ultrasound. So ultrasound. And she kind of, yep, yeah, no, well, it's, it's definitely not a lipoma. Okay. She said, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's a cyst either. Right. She said, Kerry, I'm not really sure what it is. Now, that was the first time I felt a little frisson of 
fear in my tummy. And I thought, okay. And just, so what we're gonna do, we're just gonna take a biopsy. Okay, so it's all right. You know, it's, we've just gotta find out because we're not sure what it is. And my first question is, is it cancer? So I'm not gonna speculate because that's not helpful, Kerry. We're just gonna take a biopsy. Now I've translated that, that into, well, no, it's not, because if it was, they'd just tell me the naivety. So they did what's called a punch biopsy or a core biopsy. Now, if you've ever had one, then you'll know. But if you haven't ever had one, all I'm gonna say to you is, be prepared to feel pain. <laughs> I can't dress that up for you because they're not pleasant. They really are not pleasant. And it's because they have to get deep into the tissue of the tumour, as I now know it was, or, or the foreign lump in your body to take tissue. Now, I wasn't expecting that. I went in to, to have a conversation with the doctor, to have an examination and a mammogram. I wasn't expecting ultrasound and I wasn't expecting, last of all, to be lying on my back and having a local anaesthetic and then a massive... It was literally like... It's so like someone punches you on your chest, took my breath away. And I'm, I'm quite tough around that sort of stuff. Um, and then she said, oh, sorry, Carrie, I didn't quite get enough. Oh, <laughs> really? So she had to do it again. So I had two of them and then little kind of stereo strips over it, dressed fine. And then they send you back down to meet the doctor that triaged you when you came in. So I sort of looked at her and said anything. She said, no, no, no. I said, am I right to drive? She went, do you feel all right to drive? I said, yeah, fine. Said, yeah, you're fine. Then off you go. So you kind of leave that environment where you've had the lump identified as something that they don't know. We don't know what it is. Um, and having taken a sample of that, a biopsy, and you kind of leave thinking, oh, well, they've told me it was sent to her. It's fine. It's fine. So you go down and I met the doctor that triaged me in. Now, you know when you pick up our body language, because she walked in and she kind of did this kind of you know, the head to the side. All right. And I looked at her and I said, oh yeah, I think so. It was a bit of a shock. Wasn't expecting, you know, biopsy. Wasn't expecting to be quite so painful. I said, yeah, okay, well, have you had it? It explained what it is. And there's this code that they give to lumps, U1, W, whatever it is. And she gave it this code. And I said, well, no, I, that's, I haven't heard that before. Is it cancer? And she said, Kerry, we don't know what it is. Okay, well, how do you not know? Um, she said, but it could be. And I just went, okay, right. What what happens now? She said, well, what will happen is that's going to be sent off to histology. It'll be tested. And then you'll get a phone call to bring you in for an appointment with Mr. Ferguson. Now, Mr. Ferguson is the consultant breast surgeon. Right. Okay. Happy days. How long would that take? A couple of weeks, you know, 10 to 14 days. Okay, fine. So I leave, ring my husband. Um, I had a biopsy, they're not sure what it is. Um, didn't say at that point to him that they thought it could be cancer because I don't think it's helpful to speculate. Got in the car and had a, I didn't have a, I just kind of put it out of my head. Drove home, um, we sat down to dinner that night and I then said to Jack, because he said, is it cancer? I said, well, I suppose it's possible it could be, but I'm fit, I'm healthy, don't, you know, I'm adopted, so I don't know if it's in my family, but... You know, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, look at me. I don't look ill. Oh, yeah, no, no, that's right. That's right. Two days later, two days later, we got a phone call asking us to come in the next day. Um, and, you know, there's something there. There's a red flag that goes off, right? A red flag that says, why so quick? Why so quick? And I did. I felt, I felt 
I felt fear at that point. Um, and again, got up that morning. Um, this was the 25th of August. Got up that morning and my husband said to me, look, I think I should come. And again, I said, darling, I just don't think it's worth you taking the time off work. We're both self-employed. If you take a day off work, you know. So, and I said, and anyway, COVID, you won't be able to come in with me. So there's very little point. He's like, no, but I'll be there. That's, darling, it's fine. It's not, it's going to be fine. Let's think positive. It'll be fine. That's Kerry, always the optimist. So back in my car, got myself a coffee, got to the, got to the RDNA, walked into the breast clinic again. No, I am now. Yep. Morning, ladies. Outpatients. Yep. Um, and again, took my book, my headphones, but again, no sooner had my bum made contact with that seat, Mrs. Knight, and off I got. And this really, really lovely, lovely, lovely nurse brought me into the room. She said, right, there's a little cape. If you just, just, uh, store, I've got to get changed. She said, oh yeah, yeah, you've got to get changed. I was like, oh, uh, okay, right, fine, I think, right, okay. And I <laughs> didn't think anything, I didn't think anything more of that really. I took the cape off, took my top off, put the cape on, little book, sat and had a read, next thing, in comes Mr. Ferguson, who um, was a consultant breast surgeon. I said, morning, morning. He said, morning, Kerry, how are you? I said, yes, I'm all right. I said, it's a bit sad though, isn't it? It's because before I'd gone into the appointment, as I was walking out, there were a couple of women that had come out in tears and lots of other people in the waiting room sort of sat there looking really anxious. And I really pick up on others' feelings. I'm just a bit weird like that. And I said to him, I said, oh gosh, you know, I feel sorry. There's lots of women out there that look like they're going to get bad news today. And he smiled and said, yes, and I'm sorry, Kerry, you're one of them. And I looked at him and he went, we've had a look at your tumour. The histology has come back and I'm sorry to tell you, it's breast cancer. Now, my world shattered into a gazillion pieces at that point. My ears started to ring, my mouth went dry, I felt sick. Um, and I just sat there blinking. I don't think I really said anything for, it probably wasn't, it felt like an hour. It was probably only about 10 seconds. Um, and then I started to sob, really fucking sob. Um, and you know, you've got the nurse putting their arm around you. Mr. Ferguson's holding my hand saying, you know, we've caught it, you know, you know saying lots of things. It's early, it's this, it's that, but I didn't take any of that in. Um, and then I, grabbed a load of tissues, shoved them up my nose, took a deep breath and went, okay, so what do we do? Um, and that's just my, I, I didn't expect to get emotional, but I am feeling emotional. So if that, if that happens, I apologize. Well, I don't apologize. It's just part of the journey. Um, so he then said, well, the good news is we don't think you need a mastectomy. And I said, okay, so what do we need to, so what's going to happen is, we're gonna bring you in, we're gonna do a little surgery called a wide excision lumpectomy, together with a sentinel node biopsy and all these words. I was like, what? Um, because where the tumor is and the type of cancer it is, as long as we can get good margins around the tumor then, and it hasn't spread anywhere, then it might just be that you have a little bit of radiotherapy and you're all done. We don't think chemotherapy's on the cards. You know, we don't think so. The type of cancer I had, DCIS, um, ductal carcinoma, in situ, uh, stage three, aggressive, grade two. So there's grades one, two, and three. I was grade two, aggressive. So there's 
not the slow growing and really super speedy growing. And there's this one in the middle. That was me. Um, so I kind of said, all oh, right, okay, so you'll send me a letter. Now, if I'm really honest with you, the rest of that meeting, I don't really remember. I don't, I remember being given lots and lots of leaflets um, on the surgery, on anesthesia, on exercises, on counselling and contact with my breast care nurses. My breast care nurse, by the way, legend Alice, came in and introduced herself to me and said, I'm going to be with you through this whole journey. And I just remember blinking a lot. Um, and then kind of looking down and, you know, do you want a cup of tea? No, not really. And then it hit me. It really hit me. I thought, fuck, I've got to tell Jack I've got cancer. Jesus. And then it went from full on kind of panic mode into how do I make this okay for him? How do I, how do I protect him? How do I, how do I not make this the worst possible thing he could ever hear in his life? tears um so I walked back out into the waiting room I didn't look at anybody I didn't make contact with anybody I just put my head down and I scooted now thankfully where the breast clinic is in my hospital the Royal Devon and Exeter it's a very short walk back out to get outside and by that point you've got your mask on anyway so you know people can't really see that your world has just been shattered um so I got back to the car and I picked my phone up thought I've got I've got to ring him because I'd had missed calls and text messages and God knows what else. So I rang him. My darling, wonderful husband, who I'd only been married to for 18 months. Um, and he picked the phone up. All right. I was like, yeah, no, darling, you need to come home. Right. Okay. Are you all right? Yes, I'm okay. I'm going to just get in the car now and I'm going to drive home, but you need to come home from work. Right. Fuck okay, fuck, right, okay, I was like, okay, love you, love you too, drive safe, yeah, all right, now, I live 45 minutes from the hospital, and the road I took home is the slowest road in the southwest of England, because what should have taken me 45 minutes started to tick up towards an hour, at which point Jack rings me going, fucking hell, you're all right, where are you, where are you, fine, traffic, I'll be home, I'm just pulling into our road, so pulled into the road, and now, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but there's something, there's something in me, something built in me that when I have to make it okay for somebody else I am immediately able to calm myself and hold my shit together I don't know what that is I don't know where it comes from it's just who I am so by the time I opened my front door I was actually eerily calm and Jack was sat on the sofa and I walked in sat down gave him a hug and he looked at me and said what oh I said yeah I'm sorry darling I've been diagnosed with cancer breast cancer and obviously he cried um which is probably the hardest thing I think of this whole journey was watching him fold in on himself as he heard that news um but then I said all of the stuff that I regurgitated from the meeting it's early they don't think it's spread they don't think I'm gonna need chemotherapy I haven't have got to have a mastectomy um, and I sat and answered all his questions and, you know, his questions were all, um, around what happens next, but there were some questions I couldn't ask. And those questions are, you know, it, does this mean that you're going to die? <laughs> um, how long have we got? You know, all of those questions, we just didn't know at this point in time. We just, 
we just didn't know. And that was probably one of the hardest things about it is the unknown. Um, and so that was the 25th of, of August. I then had my appointment come through for surgery on the 4th of October, which you will appreciate felt like a million light years away. And you go through this thing in your mind that says, well, it's, it's going to spread in that time. It's going to grow in that time. It's going to be everywhere. Why can't they just operate on it now and get it out of me now? And we're, and of course, the reality is that cancer had been there a while. And three, four, five weeks in the grand scheme of things is not and did not make a difference for me. But that doesn't help your mental health in the time. Your mental health in those six weeks, five and a half, is it, it's just an absolute nightmare. Um, and it was at that point that I started to kind of withdraw from people around me, disconnect from friends, because that's just what I did. It's a coping strategy of mine, because I didn't want to have to tell every man and his dog, and then have to go through the same series of emotions. I had to tell my clients, because they're my clients, um, and they mean the world to me. And I'm extraordinarily lucky to say that the majority of my clients have actually stood by me through this whole debacle, <laughs> um, which has made life financially much less stressful because nobody tells you cancer financially is an absolute pain in your bottom. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, I started the process of kind of disconnecting um, and just going in on self to try and to just try and cope. Um, we had to tell my in-laws, um, my parents, I actually told second, the reason being my parents live 300 miles, no, they don't, they live 200 miles away, um, and logistically getting up to them to tell, because I wanted to tell them face to face, obviously, you don't ring your mum up and say, by the way, mum, um, particularly with everything that they have going on, you know, my father had just had a reoccurrence of his cancer, you know, the universe has got great timing, um, so we decided that we would tell my husband's parents first because I'm very close to them as well. Um, so we took them for lunch, had cocktails, got them home and then basically gave them a bit of a shit sandwich. <laughs> um, so, and my husband told them I just kind of sat there. They both cried, obviously, um, and had lots of questions. And I think... For any of you that know somebody, or if you're listening to this and you're going through this journey as well, it might be that you resonate with the fact that, that ha having to tell people is often harder than anything else because you have to see the reaction, you have to see the pain that your diagnosis is causing. And that just broke me. I found that so hard to see that pain, you know, and it, oh, it's, it's awful. Um, we then told my parents, um, my mum had had an idea because I think mums do. My dad was completely oblivious. Um, but my parents are pretty stoic, you know, I, I was able, by the time we saw them, we had um, all the information around uh, surgery, early surgery, it should be surgery and done. So, um, so time marches on and the next phase of the podcast is what I'm going to be talking to you about in part two, which will be approaching surgery and what that looked like. But what I want to leave you with today is just kind of a summary of 
what that looks like. And, a, and it's a reminder from me that if there is something that you have been putting off, which pertains to your health, please take action. I was very lucky that mine was caught early, but please, girls, check your boobs, check your chest. And if anything feels untoward, go to your doctor. Go to your doctor. I'm still standing here today having gone through cancer treatment and come out the other side and I'm able to say that I'm fully in remission and clear. But that doesn't mean that I don't have to check myself every month. I do every month. I have a mammogram now yearly. I have a six-month follow-up with my six-week follow-up with my oncologist and a six-month follow-up with my surgeon. Cancer is brutal and it is indiscriminate so if there is something that you've been putting off and it might not be about cancer it might be diabetes it might be weight loss it might whatever your health and your well-being is not a given it is something that you have to work at to sustain to look after and to manage and even if you do all of that the worst can still happen now i don't want that to sound like a oh my god that's doom and gloom carry but it's true and this is the thing that I'm the most passionate about now is why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? If there's something that you need to take action on, tomorrow is not promised. Today is all we have. So do something. Take action. Be stronger than your strongest excuse because I'm telling you, knowledge is power and it is frightening and it is scary. But you know what? Life is scary. Sometimes we have to lean into that fear and do the thing anyway. And I'm telling you now, I am so grateful for my GP, Jane Coop, that referred me to that breast clinic that didn't mess about. She followed up all through. She was, she was amazing. Whatever it is that you face, however hard it might feel in that moment, however scary, terrifying, gut-wrenchingly awful it might feel, I promise you, you can get through it. I am walking, talking testimony to that fact. I promise you, even on your dark days, look for the stars. I promise you they are there. So that was a whistle stop, whistle stop tour, can't even speak now, through how I became diagnosed with breast cancer and the next stages. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this was helpful, insightful and interesting. And please join me next week for part two, getting ready for surgery. Now, in the meantime, I'm going to love you and leave you and just ask you to subscribe, share and follow on YouTube and on the podcast. It makes more difference than you'll ever know. And for now, that is me signing off. Lots of love.